Okay, let's get into this text. Um, uh, Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Uh, conversations about spiritual warfare are a little bit, um, they're like waters that I don't really want to wade too deep in. They're a little bit uncomfortable. And I'll tell you why in the past. Because, firstly, the idea of spiritual warfare sounds a little bit um, odd to me. And then secondly, usually the, the, the self-professed experts of spiritual warfare, warfare are often very odd to me. And um, so the, this kind of thing is, oh, do we, have to go, do we have to sound like this when we talk about spiritual warfare? The nice thing, though, is that when we open up the Bible, it's not very weird when it talks about spiritual warfare, but it does talk about spiritual warfare. And so we do want to go there. We do want to open it up. We do want to learn from God what we can. That's why he's given us his word. What are we supposed to know about spiritual warfare um, and how can we do it? So I don't want to, you know, you would have heard me say something like, I don't know much about spiritual warfare, but I do know who wins the battle in the end. We can keep using that principle, or we can say we still know who wins, but we can learn a little bit about spiritual warfare and how we're supposed to um, go about it. Um, So Paul gives us some really clear instructions in this text, um, and it's really valuable to understand. Um, And so we'll go go look at it, Uh, and that's why we're working through the the armor of God. All right, so this morning, we're going to look at three things. Number one is a source of strength. Number two is a scheming foe, and number three is a call to stand. And we're really just working from this text from the, the beginning to the end. So if you're wondering, like, where are we getting this from, just open your phone, Google Ephesians 6, verse 10, ESV probably, because that's the language, but any translation is fine. Um, and then we're just going to work from verse 10 through. Paul says this. He says, here's our source of strength. He says, be strong. Be strong in the Lord. First of all, be strong over here is an imperative. You, you don't really have to understand too much about the language. You, you can go check up later. But it's an imperative. When, when something is an imperative in the Bible, it means it's a command that we're supposed to obey. So the words that he uses in the Greek are, it, it's, it's presented as an imperative. Here's something that you are supposed to go and do. And so when he says, be strong in the Lord, um, this is something we're supposed to hear as Christians and go, okay, now we have to obey this and we have to, in response, go and be strong in the Lord. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul says, it is in the Lord, and it is in the strength of his might. Uh, the language that he uses here, the, the words that he uses, are passive and present. Now, this is not going to be like a morning Greek lecture, but it's just important to hear it, because we don't always get it in, our, in, in the English translations. Passive and present means simply this. It's not something you can do for yourself. So this is something you must do, but you can't do it yourself. And the present means that it's ongoing. It doesn't happen once, it has to happen ongoingly. So be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might is saying, here's something you have to do, but you need, you're going to need God to do it, and you're going to need God continually. Do you, do you see the point there? Otherwise, if it's, not that, that, if it's not passive, then it's you've got to figure out how to be strong in the Lord. It's on you, and to not do it is disobedient in the strength of his might, and it happens once and for all. So what is... What might we think that is? You're not strong because, I don't know, you haven't received the Holy Spirit. You're not strong because you're not a Christian. You're not strong because, Paul goes, no, you, you be strong in the Lord by, uh, by remembering your identity that is in the Lord. The strength comes from the Lord. It's the Lord's strength that empowers you, and it has to happen ongoingly. So you might not feel strong today. That's okay. You need to be re-strengthened in the Lord again and again. Does that make sense? Don't, don't get too insecure and lack uh, confidence in the Lord. 
This is all about relationship in the end. That's what Paul is saying. The strength that we, you're supposed to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might is relational language. You've got to walk closely with Jesus. The strength comes from ongoing, close relationship with Jesus. The further you get away from Him, the weaker you're going to feel because it's going to be in the strength of your own might. You're going to be trying to obey God in the strength of your own might. That's not what Paul's saying. Obey Him in the strength of His might. Walk closely with Him. Be empowered by God to obey God in this life. Um, where do we see this? In Acts 9.22, for example, Paul is quickly strengthened right after becoming a Christian. So we can't even use the language that like, well, this is like for the really mature Christians. As you mature more and more, you'll, you'll get stronger and stronger. Paul, it said, got strengthened. He recently, you know, he's this, he's this guy who's going to go persecute Christians. He wants them to either be imprisoned or dead. Along the way, he meets Jesus. He receives Christ. He becomes a Christian. Uh, and he enters the same city that he wants to go and persecute. And now he's preaching the gospel. And it says in the strength, uh, as Paul was strengthened in the Lord, he was able to defend the gospel straight away. Now, we know, what we know about Paul is that he was an incredible intellectual. He was a Jew of Jews. He was well-trained. He, you know, why wasn't it in the strength of his intellect Paul was able to defend the gospel? He knew it better than all the people he was arguing against. Why wasn't it in the strength of his personality? We know Paul was a, a crazy type A. You know, those kind of personalities that just bulldoze over people. They hear you, when you say no to them, what they hear you say is, say it again. <laughs> Ask again. Or I don't know yet that I'm going to do what you want me to do, uh, but I will find out later. This, you know, Paul is a strong person. Why does it not say in the strength of his personality that God gave him and the intellect that God raised him in? It doesn't. It says Paul was strengthened by the Lord to defend the gospel. The, it wasn't his intellect. It wasn't his personality. God, God enabled him uh, early in his faith to be able to defend the gospel. Then we find out about Abraham. Paul talks about Abraham in Romans 4.20. And we know that Abraham received this promise from God that he's going to be a father of many nations, but he's like 100 years old. You, you, the same was then as it is now. A 100-year-old man is not making many children. And so Abraham, it says, trusted the Lord. He trusted the Lord's promise. But if you go read Romans 4.20, the way that Paul says it is that the Lord strengthened Abraham to trust in his promise. So as Abraham walks closely with the Lord, he receives this promise, passive. It comes to him. He accepts it. It's obedient. I, I, God, I believe you're going to do. And God gives him the strength, the ability, and empowers him to trust God. And, we, and Abraham does become the father of a nation. He miraculously does have children. Um, then Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, Paul says that you need to be strengthened in God's grace. Timothy is, is chosen by Paul to go to Ephesus to lead that church there. Um, Paul uh, puts him there. Timothy is this meek man, and he's leading this hectic church. Um, and Paul says to him, not man up, not be stronger, not Timothy, go get a theological degree so that you can argue against the, the hypocrites. What does Tim Paul say to Timothy? Timothy, don't worry about it. All you need is in the strength of God's grace. Timothy, God has called you to something where you are. And what you need, Timothy, is to stay close to the Lord and be strengthened in His grace. He will enable you to do all you need to do, even with your meek personality. So all sorts of Christians need to be strengthened by God for all sorts of tasks. The Pauls, the Abrahams, the Timothys, the Nassias, the Jibs, the Joshes, the Dugs, the Marks, the Shans, the Brees, 
the Julians, the Robs. We all need to be strengthened by the Lord for all the tasks that God has called us to. Then Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. And here he's talking about that put on again. It's another um, word that has to be obeyed. Um, but over here it's talking about identity. Have you ever heard the, the phrase, um, clothes maketh the man or clothes maketh the person? You've, some, some have, some haven't. Probably tells something about us. Clo- no, it doesn't actually. Clothes makes the person means this. When you look at someone, you can tell a lot about them by the clothing that they wear. Like, for example, most of us can tell that um, Anaya is Italian. Why? Because Nas said it. He's always schmick. Even if he's on live to serve, even if he comes early, his work clothes are like polo and lacrosse, la, la, lacrosse, lacrosse, something like There's a, like a little crocodile or something. So, and I hope not to cap her right now. You know, there's, there's always a little bit of a collar. Even the relaxed clothes have a collar. Italians would never go out the house in a T-shirt. So we know something about the man by the, by the clothes, and we can look around. You know, Harry, on the opposite end, is Australian. Every single day, Harry looks like he's going to the beach. I mean, it's a handsome guy always going to the beach. Right? And we can, I don't, want to, I, I don't know what the lines are, so I don't want to, like, pick on anyone else. <laughs> But the point of the, is like our clothes tell us something about who we are. And Paul's saying, put on the armor of God. We're supposed to be identified. When you look at us, it's not supposed to be that you identify me as like, Mark is this tall, redhead guy who like believes these things about the referendum and blah, 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 like all my opinions and stuff. What you're supposed to know about me, Mark has put on the armor of God. He stands in Christ. He's empowered by Christ. That's what enables him to serve the Lord. That's who he is. He's a man who trusts the Lord. Right? Anna is a woman who trusts the Lord. Mary is a woman who trusts the Lord. She puts on the armor of God. That's how she identifies. That's, what she, uh, gets, that's where she gets strengthened from the Lord to enable her to do her psychology every single day. I can give you that. Every time I see, look at one of your faces, I want to use you as an example of this. But let me just move on. So, what are we supposed to put on? What are these qualities? These, these things Paul says is like, this is what's so great about it, is that the armor of God, Paul is using an analogy, right? It's not really, like, it's not that important that it's a war analogy. We talk about spiritual warfare, but it's not like, that's not why Paul's talking about armory. It's probably just something that Ephesians are super familiar with. The point is, this is a character, these are like characteristics of God. These are like what God is like. These are things that are important to God. These are values about who God is and His essence and what He gives. So Paul says, put on truth. God is truth. When you walk closely with God, one of the things you put on is truth because God is truth. Righteousness is another bit of the armor, the breastplate of righteousness. God is righteous. He's holy. We sang that this morning. So when you walk with God, you put on righteousness. And we go through it. Even down to prayer, gospel of peace, faith, salvation, God's word, prayer. These are characteristics of God that we put on, that we go to war with, and we become more and more like God. So how does this work? So as we put on truth, for example, and we enter a world of I, 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 me, 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 when we encounter opportunities that tempt us to not be truthful, or where being truthful would be disadvantageous to us, We are empowered by walking closely with God to not be worried about that, 
But because God is truth, we are able to find the courage in Him to speak truth, to be honest, whatever may come. Now, that's not an excuse to tell truth to people horribly. Um, Do I look good in this outfit? No, you look terrible in that outfit. I'm just speaking the truth. God is truth. (laughs) God is also love. Uh, And unless it sounds loving, you're not speaking truth the way God speaks truth. Righteousness. All these things come at you. All these temptations will come at you, regardless of what age. They just change. Temptations are going to come at you, whether it's moral or whether it's pride, whether it's ego. You will be challenged. You will be tempted often. And as we put on the righteousness of God, it's God's righteousness that protects our hearts not to be tempted to put on unrighteousness. And so this is this wonderful armor. We're going to talk about all the pieces. I'm not going to give it away this morning. Secondly, we have a scheming foe. It says, stand against the the schemes of the devil. Paul writes. So the position we're supposed to have is to stand. I'll talk about this more in the end. Um, But the position, in when you're thinking about battle, the position to stand... Is, is not just a passive one. You know, it's not the opposite of going back, and it's not not going forward. In war, standing is winning. Yeah. Think about a battleground. People have got, like, swords out and spears and arrows, and those who are standing are those who are still alive, right? Those who are dead with something protruding out of their chest or missing a, a body part are those who are no longer standing. So when Paul says stand, it's not this, like, just hold ground. Don't let the enemy push you back. Paul's saying, win. Have victories every day in Jesus. Be empowered to defeat the foe. He says, but, you know, we stand against um, the schemes of the devil. So we stand against these schemes. What are schemes? Schemes are well-crafted tricks that are intended um, to search the chinks in one's armor. So schemes look for cracks. They look for gaps in the armor. Where has this? So it's like this. You know, yesterday we went to battle and we were standing and Mark put on righteousness and as the enemy had a go and tempted him with unrighteousness in some way, cling! There was no chink in the armor. It bounced. But today we went to battle and Mark was a little rushed And he ran out and he thought, it's okay, I can probably do this like living for God thing in my own strength. I'm all right. I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember. I don't think I'm that dependent. I'm I'm strong. The the temptation of unrighteousness comes, oh, that cut deep. Hold on. Why is it so so attractive? Why does it have such an alert to it? Why do I want to say yes? Why do I want to go for it? There's a chink in the armor. Not, where, not standing in the, in the righteousness of God. Standing in my own, trusting myself. Yeah. And so um, the, the schemes, these clever, crafty tactics, know this about the devil. The devil is, is um, I don't know if this is true, uh, saying it like this, but he's smarter than you. I'm not trying to say he's got like a more intelligent brain than you because I, I do think humanity is amazing. But he has been doing this for a millennia, he has learned some things, and the tactics are, are great, these great well-crafted strategies that trick people, trap people 
catch people, we are no different to anyone else. It's like walking through a field of landmines and going, no, but I'm special. I'm a snowflake. My <laughs> life's different. They may get you, but they're not going to get me. It's like, no, all these well-crafted strategies are just, you're just as susceptible as anyone who's ever fallen into them. That's why when we hear about, you know, great disappointments where Christian leaders fall to, in, in sin and the world publicizes it and this guy who runs this church or this person who does this thing is this great sinner and we're like, oh my gosh, how could they do it? Every single one of us could have done it. We're no different. It may be that they forgot to put on the armor of God. They forgot to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And they went out again and again. And slowly but surely, the enemy just chipped away and it got to them. Paul says the enemy comes like an angel of light. So you can't discern it. You're not looking for someone who's running around with a forked tail and horns and kind of red face and you know, this goat, human, beast being. You're not looking for something that's like that, that you like, I know if the devil was trying to like do something in my life, because it would be ugly. Paul says that the devil comes like an angel of light. There's strategies that look good. Peter says, watch out, because the devil comes like a prowling lion. Prowling lions, how do prowling lions come by? They don't come by, stomp, 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 stomp. Here I am, I'm a lion. They come, they come by quietly. They're hungry. They're watching. They'll lie in wait as long as it's needed till they see a vulnerability. Then they will pounce. So Peter says, watch out. Yeah. Comes around like a prowling lion. He's dangerous. He's quiet. There's a deliberate kind of patience and persistence in the devil's schemes. He is deliberately patient and persistent. So you go to bed tonight and you go... This was a wonderful day of glorifying God with my life. Great. But wake up tomorrow and put on the armor of God because he is patient and persistent. Patient means if you said no to him once, it's okay. He doesn't mind. He'll come back again and he's going to try again. That's persistent. Think about the devil with Jesus. Jesus is the son of God, comes... uh, to rescue and save us. The devil knows Jesus from heaven. Um, Jesus is the Lord over the devil, and yet still, this patience and persistence, the devil comes into the wilderness, offers Jesus everything. How many times? Three times. And every time, Jesus pushes back, interestingly, with the armor of God. Go read it. He uses the word of God to speak back to the devil, to discern the lies of the devil, to uh, to not, you know, he says, I won't worship the Lord your God. Don't worship anything above the Lord your God. And he pushes back against the devil, wearing the full armor of God. Even Jesus had to do that. Yeah. Jesus mentions some in, in one of his uh, t- uh, parables. Jesus mentions some of the well-known tactics the devil uses. He goes, uh, these are some of the things, that, you know, the, ch- the things that look for chinks in armor that he uses. These are some of them. The worries of life. Well, the worries of life are patience and persistence. You might get over the worries of life today, but there'll be new ones tomorrow. And they just kind of sit there like a hum. Mm-hmm. Looking for a crack or like water running over the concrete, looking for a crack. Where can we go in? The worries of life. Here's a crack. Here's where we can go in. 
We had them. They were great when they were single. They served the Lord with all their heart. They got married. They were worried about their, their, their marriage and wanted to put that. There was a moment there, no, but they got through. Kids came, crack, crunk, in. Got them. Deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth is not bad at all. If you're poor, don't worry about it. You won't always be poor. One day Jesus will uh, welcome you to heaven and you won't ever be poor again. If you're rich, don't worry about it. Don't think too much about it. One day you'll be in heaven and your riches will look like a pittance. will mean nothing in the presence of God. It's not that big a deal. But the deceitfulness of wealth is what's the problem here. Yeah. Is shifting our attention from trusting God to trusting money. There's nothing wrong with money, but trusting it is deceitful. We can kind of control it. It can get in our hearts. We think that if we have enough, we can live the life we're supposed to live. God, if you make me rich, I'll just like serve you and help people. And, and God's like, you don't need any of that. You can just serve me and help people. And the desire for things, he says in this parable, the desire for things, just worldliness is another thing. And in our, you know, in our city, all three of these are very real. So think about the Garden of Eden. What did Satan do there? He comes in with his well This is the first time we see his trickery with a human. He comes to Adam and Eve. Well, this is his first strategy. It's, it's not even like that well formed yet. It's not even that crafty yet. He comes in as a serpent, and what does he say to them? Did God really say? He questions. He's, he's beating exactly on the armor, the word of truth. The, one of the, one of the um, two of the things, one is truth, the, uh, another piece of armor is the Word of God. Satan comes and bangs on the armor of God and says, did God really say? Can't? And then they, they reply, and he goes, no, God's Word cannot be trusted. God's really trying to hold you back from being self-actualized. Believe me. Right from the beginning, there's this battle, this chink-in-the-armor battle. And he goes after the Word of God. Think about how easy it is to say no to ice cream once. Man, if self-discipline was the fruit of Mark, I would be a svelte man. <laughs> but self-discipline is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Saying no to ice cream once is easy. But then your wife says, are you sure you don't want some? Just a little? <laughs> well, if you're going to be patient and persist, <laughs> I might as well give in. There's so many things that we can say no to once. Maybe we'll say no to them twice. But if we're not wearing the armor of God, it's already starting to get in. And we're bound to say yes. Satan is consistently inspecting us. So then Paul says, you know, he's, the battle is against the, the devil. The devil, the word there means accuser. So all of us have a name in this room, and all of our names mean something. Our kids were working through our names last night, and it was wonderful to hear them try and like use their name. My name means this, and God can use me in this way. And Nasa's name, my wife's name, means miracle of God. That's amazing. What a like, testimony to God's goodness. The devil's name means accuser. Who wants to like run around with a friend named accuser? Uh, God has given him a name that's like warning, warning, warning. Don't be a friend of his. 
So he's got this name named, named accuser, and his goal is, to, the, the whole thing he's trying to disrupt is people's relationship with God. You are not that important to the devil, not to demean who you are. You're a wonderful person. He doesn't care about you. He cares about God, and he cares about God's relationship with you. Why? Because God loves you. And the devil hates God, and he wants to disrupt everything that God loves. And because God loves you, he wants to disrupt your relationship with God. Why are you a target? Because you are well-loved. You know about, I mean, we know about, you know, wealthy people, even, even today, even in this world today, super wealthy athletes or Hollywood stars have to have guards for their children when they go to school. Or their, why? Because people can take their children and hold them ransom. Why? Because the famous rich people love them. These criminals don't even know anything about the children. They're totally insignificant to the criminals. All the children are, are people loved by the rich and famous people. If we can get to the children, we disrupt this one. And in that sense, that's what our battle is. Because we are so loved, we have value. Don't think you are the the, uh, target of the devil. God is always the target. So the devil goes to God and he accuses, he says, you know, he goes to, you know, we read the devil goes to God and he's talking about Job. God says to the devil, look at Job and how he loves me and how he serves me and how obedient he is. And the devil says, he would never do that if you took your hand off of him, if you didn't bless him, if you didn't protect him, if you didn't guard over him. And God goes, no, I know Job loves me. Okay, watch, I'll take my hand off of him. But he's accusing. Then uh, the devil goes, Um, to Adam and Eve and says, God doesn't care about you. He just wants to hold you back. He doesn't want you to become like himself. He's trying to uh, keep you small, but you can be so much bigger. Just go your own way. He's constantly sowing doubts and accusations about our relationship with God and the goodness of God. You cannot say, no one in this room can say you haven't looked uh, into your life or into the world and, and not sometimes gone, is God really good? Is God really loving? You can't say that you've faced some suffering or difficulty and not at some moment questioned, does God love me? Does God care for me? Is it okay to trust God? Because it looks like I could probably take a better, do a better job of caring for myself. All I'm trying to say is, in some, often in those moments, it's okay to accept it's probably not you. The accuser is running around. Sowing doubt everywhere. Accusing. People don't believe in the devil. There's a lot of stats. George Barner does a lot of stats. His institute does a lot of stats in America. So unfortunately, a lot of these stats come to us from America. But Australian culture is not that different. I think we can say it probably mirrors it in some way. It's not like uh, we're getting these from the Middle East or somewhere where it's culturally so, so different. But more than half of Christian Americans and more than uh, three-quarters of Catholic Christian Americans don't believe the devil is a real being. They believe that there is some sort of evil force, like a yin, there's good and evil that are like kind of warring each other, but more than half of Christians don't believe there's a being that the Bible speaks about that has intelligence and schemes, tricks, and is patiently, persistently going after uh, this world. That's terrifying. The French poet Charles uh, Baudelaire wrote, 
The greatest trick the devil, devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. You see the trickery there? The craftiness there? If the devil can get most Christians to believe he doesn't even exist, what does that give him? Free reign. If you live in a house and you keep losing things and windows keep breaking and doors keep getting kicked in and you convince yourself there is no one burgling you, it is the bad weather, it is bad luck, it is something about the wind, what does it give the criminal? Free reign. I can do what I want. They don't even believe I exist. I can walk into their home, take something out. They don't even think I exist. You don't have to fear the devil. If you read the Bible, the Bible doesn't leave us with that. The Bible leaves us with the devil is a real being. Jesus said he saw the devil fall from heaven. Not a force. A created being. You don't have to fear the devil. Smith Wigglesworth gives us a good example of this. Uh, He was having terrible dreams one night and he woke up Uh, feeling the sense of darkness in his room and he was sure there was something demonic and he sat up in his bed and he saw a demonic figure and he's recorded as saying, oh, it's only you, Satan, put his head on his pillow and went back to sleep. You don't have to fear the devil. Let me also say this, the chances that Satan himself was in in Smith Wigglesworth's room, very slim. (laughs) We really don't feature on the radar very much. He's not omnipotent like God. He's not omnipresent like God. He can be in one place at one, t- at one time. If you are the one person that he personally is going after, well, you must be doing something very significant. Um, don't be ignorant of the demonic. Don't think it doesn't matter. Don't poo-poo it. Don't think it's so courageous. Don't have this childlike, you know, like children can get so strong that they can like out-talk themselves. They can think that they can defeat all the enemies. And they can run around. Zeke used to do this. He used to, we used to have like a play-play armor of God that we got from Kurong. And honestly, we didn't really tell him what it was. Like, we didn't really read the Bible verses. We just, um, it was just kind of cooler armor than Kmart sold. Uh, where, else, where else can you get a good, like, hat and breastplate and sword? Christian bookstore. That's where you'll get it. He used to run around, and he was defeating, like, all, I, sorry, I don't watch the same movies, but, like, the people from uh, the Aslan movies, what's that called? Narnia, the, the bad witch or whatever. He was defeating all these enemies. He was somehow in this gear fighting in Star Wars. And he was, there was no one who could stand it. Don't be those sort of Christians who are like, yeah, I'm a Christian, so I can't be touched. I'm the man. Don't be ignorant of the devil. The sons of Sceva. Do you know the story? I'll tell you the story. It's very funny. Not for them, but for us reading it. Very funny. Sceva was a Jewish priest. His sons... So they grow up in this, like, priest's home, not, not Christians, uh, Jewish, and they walk around. And now they've heard Paul preach, and they've seen Paul, the power of Paul in the name of Jesus. So they literally go around itinerantly, like city to city, doing exorcisms on people, like telling demons where to go, in the name of Jesus who Paul preached, because they don't, they don't know Jesus. But all they know what to say is, like, hey, you come out in the name of Jesus that Paul preached. And there's power in it, you know. So eventually, the Bi- the, I mean, and literally, the Bible like, says it this way. Like, eventually, one of the demons spoke back. And it's like, he just didn't have time for this. And it was like, um, who are you? <laughs> well, we are the sons of Sceva. 
we're quite famous, actually. Um, uh, it's, word is getting around about us. This is what the demon says. Jesus we know. Paul we've heard about. But we don't know who you are. This is how I like to say it. It's not how it's written, but this is how, how Jesus we know. Paul we've never heard about. But who the hell are you? Yeah. You're allowed to say that because that's, you know, hell demons. That's... <laughs> You know what happened though? This is, and this is why we can't just be ignorant. So then this demon-possessed man pounces on them, beats the snot out of all of them, and it says they ran around naked and injured. They ran away naked and injured. So this is what I'm saying. Don't run around going like, I'm a Christian, I'm untouchable, the devil's got nothing on me. Um, that's not what Paul is saying. Be strong in the Lord. Put on His mighty power. Put on His armor. That's very, very different to you running around thinking you are now the general of all the heavenly troops. You are still flesh and blood. I am still flesh and blood. What's the best attitude, therefore, to have to avoid the, uh, with the devil? Is this, avoid the devil. N- not, ignore, not ignore. When you ignore something, you pretend it's not there. The Bible doesn't teach us to ignore. It teaches us to avoid. Paul says, flee sin. Avoid it. Run. If you see if the opportunity to sin, go the other way. Avoid it. Run away. I see it. Be wide open. Know it's there. Be observant. Be alert. And then when you see, avoid it. How do you best avoid it? Avoid it by focusing on glorifying God. When we focus on glorifying God, what do I want to do today? I want to glorify God with my life. I want to go out and love people like Jesus loves them. And that's what I'm going to set out to do. I'm going to go honor my wife as her husband. I'm going to go love my children this morning. I'm going to go, I'm going to, wherever I get to speak about my church, I'm going to honor everyone in coffee shops and restaurants. And when people say, oh, it must be hard being a pastor, I'm going to push back against that because Jesus loves these people and he, uh, all of them. It's going to be such a wonderful opportunity to honor them. I'm going to go and glorify God in my workday. I know my workday is very different to your work day. You might have a lot more challenges than me. Then when the opportunities come, they're very obvious. Where's the opportunity not to honor your wife? Where's the opportunity not to be loving to your children? Where's the opportunity to dishonor people in the church? Avoid it. It's the, it's the clanging on the armor. So the point over here is that Don't go become an expert in spiritual warfare and get really, really weird. (laughs) Become an expert in God. Walk right in His presence. Be in His shadow always. And then you become an expert of everything that needs to be avoided. Lastly, standing, a call to stand. And this will be a short point. The the devil is deliberately patient and persistent, like I said. But when you put on the armor of God, you actually actually are untouchable. You and I are not untouchable, but with the armor of God, we are untouchable. The sword can clang against the, the breastplate of righteousness day after day after day, but if the breastplate of righteousness is on, the sword will never get through. The truth of God will never be found to be untrue, unreliable. There will never be a better truth than the truth of God. So if you stand on that truth, it will always uh, be reliable. 
We don't see this in the English translations when it says stand or, or put on um, or be strong. But all of these imperatives are actually written in the plural, which means they're not written to you and to you and to you and to you and to me. They're written to us. It means that we're supposed to be strong together in the Lord. It means we're supposed to put on the armor together in the Lord. It means there's a call to stand together in the Lord. Our victory against the enemy is together, not even just King's Cross together. It's the church, it's Christians in Perth together. It's Christians in Australia together. It's Christians in this world together. We stand together as one. We are the representatives of God who wear His armor in this world. And as we go out as uh, beings of light and good news of God's love for the world, we stand together as one. Now, of course you need to do that. Of course you need to consider where are the chinks, where you're not trusting God. Where are you standing in your own strength? But the best way we do this is in our togetherness. Where I'm able to say, Jib, help me. I'm struggling with the righteousness of God. Can you please uh, pray with me and know it and uh, give insights into my life? When we come along, I remember uh, Regan and Esther visiting. I remember when Regan got um, saved, became a Christian. Uh, someone, actually Rob, who, who led worship, said, was his community group leader and said, um, I'd encourage you to get baptized. And Regan's answer was, where is that in the Word of God? He didn't even know he was a new Christian. And already he's saying, is that, going, is that something that God asked me to put on? This is a Word of God question? Yeah. Wonderful question. They opened up the Word of God. He saw baptism. He went, okay, let's do it. We help one another. We stand together against the enemy's tricks. When we see each other stumble and fall, we pick each other up in the grace of God. Be strengthened in the grace of God like Timothy was. I'm struggling. It's okay. Be strengthened in the grace of God like Timothy was. And then we have victory. Like I said, this sort of standing is about victory in battle. This isn't about not sinning. It's about standing tall for the glory of God. It's not about avoiding um, shame and guilt. It's not about being introspective and saying, how have you let God down today? It's about saying God wants to equip you to stand strong. God wants to equip you to glorify Him. God wants you to know that today and tomorrow and the next day, He wants to empower you for what you face so that you can obey Him, know Him, love Him, walk in His presence, and as you encounter difficulties and struggles that you don't understand and you wouldn't choose for yourself, He will be right there giving you what you need. It's not about Christians not sinning. It's about the churches in Perth, Christians around the world flourishing, thriving. You know, the stats in, the, in America are like churches are diminishing. People don't want to go to church anymore. The only problem there is if we care about who shows up on Sunday. If we care about, are we standing with God? Are we empowered by God? Are we being strong in Christ? Some things will inevitably happen. Our commitment to community will be stronger. Why? Because we're standing in Christ together. 
That's part of how we do it, is we raise our voices in unison to sing God's praises. We come to communion and remember that we need the blood of Christ and His body broken for us daily. Where, there's, where we've sinned, we repent, we confess our sins, and God's forgiveness washes over us, and we stand in His grace, and we move on. But we don't count bums on seats. We count soldiers standing in the armor of God, standing against the devil's schemes. The church is supposed to flourish, thrive. People in the world don't need to know that churches are full of bums on seats. People who are lost in the darkness still in the world need to experience the light and love of Jesus through a thriving and healthy people. People who are standing for them, fighting for them. And of course, we gather to worship. But isn't it just a sad reality? It's okay. I mean, it's just one of the ways we can check in. But isn't it a sad reality that the great heartache, oh, less people are going to church. It's heartbreaking if that means less people are standing in Christ and in the power of His might. And they've been taken out by the enemy. There's been chinks in their armor. The enemy's got to them. And their hearts have been given to other things. That's devastating. And they aren't able to stand for those who are still lost because they themselves have got lost. That's devastating. Let me read this to you and this will be done. I think the words will show up. Why should the enemy take notice of the church? Why should the enemy take notice of the church? And for this, I'm just going to read some scripture and some of my own. But one of, the, one of the pieces of armor is the word of God. So instead of talking about it, let's just receive some armor right now. Because in the words of Jesus himself, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this Jesus set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. When we stand in the armor of God, when we are empowered in Christ, we are putting on the same power that raised Christ from the dead, and we become like testimonies to the ultimate triumph of Jesus over Satan, the restoration of peace with God, a redeemed relationship forever held in love and joy. As we stand in Christ and put on the armor of God, we become more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For we can be sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our daily lives live to glorify God, proclaim the reality that not even the gates of hell can prevail against the unshakable foundation of our faith. Let the enemy take notice, for in Christ's victory we stand unshaken, and our every step resounds with the triumphant and thunderous quake of His glorious victory. And we remind ourselves that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us. Amen.